Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, Andrea Seidel here. I'm so excited because I have such an amazing guest on the show and she is your go-to person for everything codependency. So I am so excited to introduce you to Tamala Shah. She is our guest today on the show and you should see how radiantly beautiful she is. I know this is a podcast, you can't see her, but I'm just looking at her beauty and just awe. Like Tamala, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. And thank you for the compliment. I totally appreciate it. Thank you. It's good to be here. Oh my gosh. So you have a top 3% podcast as well, and it's called The Codependent Me. And it is such a great podcast. It has, I know all the listeners are going to want to go over there right away and listen to all the wonderful nuggets of wisdom that you have. But I'm so grateful for you being here because within our community, um, when we love someone with an addiction, oftentimes we are kind of pointed the finger and say, you're codependent, or, you know, they say, well, try to do all you can to not be codependent. And, you know, all this enabling comes into play. So there's a bit of a stigma around it. So I'm so happy that you're here so we can talk it all through so we can like walk ourselves through it. So first of all, give us a little introduction about yourself. So I am Tamala Shaw and I, I will get a little, give you a little bit about my background and how I realized I was actually codependent because honestly, I had never heard of it. So I come from a long line of uh, addicted people that are addicted. My mother was addicted to alcohol. My stepfather was addicted to alcohol. My biological father was addicted to cocaine. Um, I have an aunt that was addicted to alcohol and my brother was actually addicted to alcohol. Grandfather, addicted to alcohol. (laughs) Grandmother, codependent. (laughs) So So we are speaking from experience. (laughs) But no one had those labels is the thing. You know, you just had people that drink, you know, when the family drinks, no one sees anything wrong with that. So I didn't see, I didn't know them as alcoholics. I just knew that we would all get together and have, they would have a good time. They would play cards, they drink, you know, and it was fun. It was dysfunctional, but it was fun. Right. (laughs) So uh, when I was 15, my mother uh, sat me down and she told me that she was an alcoholic and that she would be going to some type of care. It, either it would be in, in-house or outpatient, 
Right. So I was like, what? <laughs> because I didn't understand. I didn't know what an alcoholic was or or what it what they quote unquote what it looked like. Because when people think about alcoholics, you have to be laid out somewhere. It's not really functional. Where she was a very, very functional alcoholic. She took care of us. She would cook, but what she would do, my mother was not one to drink in front of us. She, when we got home, she would do the homework, she would do the cooking, and then she'd go to her room. Okay. So she would go to her room, she would drink. And so at that point, that's where my codependency started because I had siblings. So that was my time to take care of the children because I'm the eldest. Dad worked at night. So while she was in the room, you know, it's not that she didn't care what was going on. She figured if we needed anything, we'd knock on the door. Well, it was my job at that point to take care of me and my siblings. So where I thought that was extra love, just making sure I was the big sister, it was really leaning into my codependency and how I was going to do things in the future. So we had a couple episodes where she was smoking and fell asleep, or as I say, fell into a stupor. And all of a sudden, this chair that she's sitting in, this couch, is like smoking, right? It's like, oh my gosh, so I have to help her, you know? Then that's, that's you get that light bulb, like, oh, I have to be, you know, cognizant of what goes on in the house when she's in this state. So then I started to check the locks before I went to bed. I started to check the eyes because there was a time she was cooking, left the food on the stove and there was smoke, right? So all of those are, you you get PTSD, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I want to make sure I don't wake up and the house is smoky. (laughs) So I had those things that I would check before I went to bed, even after she put me to bed. I would actually get back up later when I knew everyone was asleep to check on my siblings, to check the house, to check, you know, all of those things. So you move forward into adulthood and what you do is you start looking for people that need you. So you don't realize that you're looking for, I I don't like to say broken people, but you look for people who, um, that satisfy that yearning that you need to be needed. So fast forward, I have this wonderful husband and, you know, we're, we're in love. We have kids. And I realized later on, I'm like, I'm not really happy. I feel like I have to run everything. So we started counseling and, you know, I'm, I'm telling him, I want to go to counseling because, I need you to understand that you need to, you need to do more. You need to be better financially. So when we go to this counselor, she tells us, well, you two don't really have a husband and wife relationship. You have a mother son relationship. Well, there was never that, that, that light bulb. I'll say that again to say, Hmm, something is very dysfunctional about that. Something's toxic. All I said was told you, (laughs) you need to be better. You you need to get better. And, you know, it was, it was never, I never looked at myself and what I was doing, how I was overstepping, how I was fixing and not allowing him to even have that opportunity to fix. Right. So we get to the point where I'm like, 
I can't take it anymore. You're not getting any better. I'm about to go to, because at this point I'm ready to divorce. So I say, I am going to go to counseling for myself. So I did that. And this wonderful counselor told me that I was codependent. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now it's about me. (laughs) So I was like, I don't even know what that is. So I went and did some research, grabbed some books and read them and realized I had a whole tribe of people that were like me. And that's when I realized, okay, this is not about the other person. This is about what I'm doing, how I'm fixing, how I'm overstepping, how I don't have boundaries, how I manipulate a situation to make it go the way that I think it should go. You know, I have all of these tools now and I'm just like, oh my goodness. So I started to talk about it and everybody's like, codependency, I don't know what that is. I'm like, what? And so it was my goal to say, okay, I know good well, I am not the only one out here because I'm reading about these people, but in my community, I couldn't find it. So I realized that there, because just like, you know, I've been to Altine, I've been to Al-Anon, I've been to all, the, you know, been to all of these, these uh, anonymous, you know, classes and meetings and all of this. Because luckily, when my mom went, she had me go as well to learn certain things, but didn't learn about codependency, though, which is mm, that's that brings up a good point. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> they need to talk about that. But so I started, I realized that there was codependence anonymous. I was like, wow. So I started going to CODA meetings. And the way that the meetings would go, everyone was so somber in the ones that I chose. I'm not going to say that, you know, across America, that they're all, you know, very calm. Everybody's like, you know, we're going to talk about the 12 steps. And so I was like, I don't know. They seem a little sad. (laughs) I'm not very sad. I think that we can work this thing out and be joyous, you know? Yes. So I started holding my own meetings in Nashville at the libraries because I wanted people to know, yes, I'm codependent. Yes, I'm recovering. But as long as I identify that I'm recovering, it's okay. You're good. You can celebrate it. And that's what I didn't feel was happening in the meetings that I was a part of. So then I realized that, um, so the, the, the word spread about it. And next thing I know, different professors were calling saying, can I bring my class so that I can learn more about it? I'm like, you talking about nervous? I was shaken. (laughs) What, (laughs) what do you mean? This room is going to be full. (laughs) So then I realized, um, okay, people needed to know more about it. Then I went to a conference and I said, wow, I learned that telling you, I learned in the meetings that telling your story is what helps heal people. That's what's going to um, give people the strength to step out and be strong and heal. And then they'll do the same. They'll pay it forward. Right. So I went to this conference and I saw in a on a website that they were having speakers, facilitators. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk about it and tell my story. And I did. And people 
they were, they embraced me so wonderfully. It was so great. People got up and they told their stories at the end of the, you know, after, at the end of the the class, they, they wanted to hug. (laughs) They wanted to talk. And I, I felt, it was like, this is my tribe. You know, these are the people like, these are the people that can help me help other people. So I did it again the following year. And the following year, it was, it hit different because when I was introducing myself and I was telling you guys about the different people that were alcoholics in my family, I said, my aunt. So my aunt had passed away. And the story, the wonderful story about that is she was an alcoholic. She knew she was an alcoholic and she decided to stay an alcoholic. Most stories, you you have hope that when the person has come to terms with their addiction, they want to change it. She did not, right? So you have to, so that's a whole different level of acceptance. That is, I am, she was brave enough to say, I don't want to change. And I have to love her enough to say, okay. Right. But what you have to do in that is have your boundaries on when you are going to be able to have healthy time with that person. Because because I grew up with a mother um, and a father that had addictions, I have certain anger issues or, you know, certain things upset me. You know, if I when I would call them and their their speech was slurred, I was angry. So I wouldn't talk to them after seven o'clock. That was my, you know, so, you know, if I burned down my house, they wouldn't know until the next day <laughs> because I wouldn't talk to them after a certain day or a certain time because it bothered me. So I have to do what's right for me. So when she said that she was going to continue to drink, I had to find ways to accept that. So we had a conversation and I said, OK, this is my boundaries when it comes to your addiction and how I am able to deal with you and we still be healthy. So there was a bit of detachment where, you know, before, um, before I was really aware of everything, we would spend a lot of time together. She was only 15 years older than me. So she was that aunt that we were together all the time. We did everything together. So this was very hurtful to me. So I always prayed and had, was very hopeful that she would get that help. So you have that detachment so that it's good for you, but you feel in your head that you're detaching until they're sober, right? So I actually was detaching until, I'm on a phone. <laughs> I, was, I was detaching until she wasn't here anymore. So where I was doing a, a class at the, at the conference about codependency, boundaries, and detachment, her passing totally changed what I was presenting. So I was able to present to people to say, our hope is that you detach and deal with people that are in their addiction in a healthy manner that's good for you until they are sober. But that may not always be the case. So you have to have that in the back of your head, right? So that was a totally different situation for me. So it 
allowed me to coach differently, speak about addiction and people in their addiction differently and about sobriety differently because everybody doesn't want to be sober. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) You, you hit on so many amazing things. Um, Tamala, oh my gosh. Like, where do I begin? First of all, I know why people are attracted to you because yes, you are anything but somber. You're like, okay, (laughs) you like completely almost spit out your drink right there because you were just laughing so hard. (laughs) You're like the opposite. You're like so joyous. And I love how you, how you said that is like, yes. Cause at first when I'm like codependence, I was like you with that reaction. It's like, no, like it's almost like you feel like you have a label put on you and there's Mm -hmm. shame around it. But the reality is, is that if we end up in this situation where we are good people, like I want to celebrate the bravery of your, like Mm -hmm. in your story, when you were, I can picture the young version of you, you know, taking care of your brother and your sister and like locking the doors. I could see you walking around the house and like, I just want to celebrate that level of care, um, that, that desire to help and fix and rescue and, you know, be loyal and careful. And so like, there's so many elements of the people that we are that are so mm-hmm. beautiful yes. that I, I love this fact that you say, yes, you know, we may be codependent, but at the same time, like there is joy, like just acknowledging it is the first right. step, not Absolutely. seeing it as like a negative and then know that there's a joyous, wonderful way that yes. we can work through it. It's characteristics. It's what it is. We have certain characteristics and just like if you had a bad attitude, you need to change that characteristic with codependency. You overstep to where it's not great for you. You don't always put yourself first. So it's just a tweak. That's all it is. I have to change that character within myself and it's really going to be better for me. Right. So what shame is it in that there is, you know, there are times where, you know, you might feel as though, oh, I allowed that person to go too far. Okay, then you tweak that. Don't be sad about it. Tweak it and keep going. Right. So that is the whole thing. Um, So I've had this wonderful opportunity to start a Facebook group, Codependent Me, and I named it Codependent Me. Because the, the whole thing is about codependency starts with me. So that's why codependent me, because we always put other people first. So this, the whole part about codependency is about me. I want to get into me. So that's why I named it that. Oh, so I love that. I am absolutely just thrilled. We have almost 800 people on that page. We support one another. There's no judgment. People can come on there and tell their story and get support, which is wonderful. And, you know, during the pandemic, uh, it had me start the, cause I couldn't do the in-person meetings anymore. So that's why I started the podcast, Codependent Me Podcast. I've had some wonderful guests talk about codependency and how to have healthy relationships, different tips, So that has been phenomenal. So this thing, thing that, you know, people, they, they have shame, like it has brought me just the most beautiful people. Look who I'm sitting here talking to, right? (laughs) If it were not for that, we wouldn't be having this awesome conversation. So let's pull, you know, let's look at everything as being half full, 
You know, this is not a half empty situation. We can all come together and learn how to be strong, learn how to, you know, support each other when we fall short on our boundaries or have codependent slips. It's okay. You know, it's just like an alcoholic. If they have, if they, if they mess around and take a drink, don't wallow in it, put the glass away and start all over again. That's what it is. You know, it's okay. So let's just, you know, come together and support one another. Oh my gosh. I love that. It's okay. I love that. And, and also you say all the time, all is well. All is well. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, you know, that my, my podcast and my program and everything is all about taking back your power. And I love the way you speak. And that's why I knew you'd be an amazing guest to have on the show, because that's what it is. It's about getting into me. It's like codependent me. It's like focusing on you first. So let's talk about that a little bit. So first of all, you have um, amazing resources on your website. I'm going to obviously put all your links and everything for everyone. And which kind of tells you the characteristics of codependent behavior and things like that. And top 10 questions, you know, you can ask about, you know, codependent behavior and things like that. Um, just to kind of see if you fall in that category, but could we talk about maybe a couple that maybe someone might resonate and then we can talk about how they can get into me and just tweak it a little. How do we tweak it a little? So one of the first things that I realized is you have a hard time saying no to people, even if the answer should be no. Um, so an example for me, I may be in a situation where my children, you know, it's a lot of times, you know, moms feel like they should go above and beyond for their children. So there are times where they may say, mom, you know, I really need for you to um, take me here, take me there, you know, where they could possibly find their own ride. Okay. This is something very simple, (laughs) but, (laughs) but I may have plans and then they come to me and say, mom, can you take me such and such? Well, rather than me say, well, I have plans. So I need for you to find your own ride because if you had told me in advance, maybe I would have been able to make, you know, accommodations, but you waited too late. And we've talked about this in the past. So you go ahead and find your own ride, right? That's, we've set the boundaries in the past because in the past I've said, now, you know, you need to tell me in advance because I can't just jump up and do, but then they still do it. Well, guess what? If you always accommodate that, they're never going to tell you in advance because you don't require it. You haven't required Mm -hmm. them to tell you in advance because you always make it work. You always fix it. So you fix what you're going to do. You put yourself second. Ah, change my plans. Don't worry about it. They won't mind that I'm late for lunch. Well, that's not fair. You've told them, you've told them that they need to tell you in advance so that you can do your best in accommodating them, but they, they, they don't care because you've always put them first. So they don't, you haven't required that they put you first or that they tell you in advance, like you've asked them to. So that's kind of an example of what you should do. Yeah. And it's, it's something seems small, but it's pretty big if they do it all the time, because you, you don't, you're not standing, you're standing on your boundary. You have to stand on that boundary and say, I require you to do this. And isn't it true that starting with smaller boundaries, like setting smaller, like boundaries and then reinforcing them is a good place to start. Absolutely. And it makes you feel good when you do. You're so proud of yourself. Like you, you sit there and you're like, I did it. 
I did it and nothing broke. I did it and I'm still breathing. Oh my gosh. You know? And I love the word that you chose to, you require it. It's almost like putting yourself first. It's like, you know, you're, it, I also love this idea too, is any time that I notice that my plans have been like suddenly kiboshed or like completely changed. It's like, that's when I know it's, it's like a red light for me, Andrea, your boundary has been crossed. Like anytime, like, yeah. you know, a meeting's gone over that I'm late for the next meeting. It's like your boundary got crossed, right? Mm-hmm. You can say you've got Absolutely. a hard stop at this time. And yes. so- that and is- you can feel it too. I tell a lot, I'm sorry, I pointed at you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of people, I tell them all the time, when you cross your boundary, you feel it in your body. So if you become very in tune with the different feelings that you have, you'll know, oh, I didn't stand on that boundary. I've got to do better next time. And that's okay. If you if you didn't stand this time and you acknowledge it, it's okay. Stand next time. And you'll you'll still be proud. It'll be okay. Another Another characteristic is, Codependents don't like to argue. So they'll do in order to not have that, um, the arg- I don't like to say argument, but disagreement. Confrontation. Right. I would much rather do what I don't want to do so that I don't have to have that confrontation. That's not good because confrontation, the word, we look at it in a negative way when in all actuality, all it is is two conversations where people have two different points of views. And it's okay to talk that out in a healthy manner. It's just talking and telling your side and them telling their side. And each person should be able to respect the other and you should be able to come to a middle ground. But instead, we feel as though you get this lump in your throat, you start to sweat, you start to get very anxious. Oh, I've got to talk to this person about something that they may not like. It's okay, you know? So you just have to breathe through it and have the conversation. I tell people all the time, you have to have conversations because people don't know that you're uncomfortable if you don't tell them. Oh my gosh. And then we're dealing with a whole different ball game when we are loving someone with an addiction, right? And obviously having those conversations with them when they're sober, when we think they're sober anyway. Right. I love that you said, I have to do what's right for me. It's like, Mm. and require it. Um, So, and I like the way you put it because you you really make it feel like it's light and you can kind of test it out and then have compassion if your boundaries have been crossed. And and I love that you talk about embodying the feeling that comes when your boundaries have been crossed. So now can you tell me a little bit about like this idea of how do we tweak it? How do we set boundaries? How do we, you know, Say yourself essentially. (laughs) Yeah, I think what you have to do first is identify. Identify when you don't feel good. Identify when you haven't given your best yes. You know, I try to tell people all the time, you when when you haven't given your best yes, it's a no. Like if it's not good for you, if it doesn't feel good, and it's okay to test that no, right? So the best yes is if I constantly have had this conversation, just like before, you know, if I've given, if I've had the conversation, I tell you lovingly what is okay with me and what is not. If you cross it, we'll have the conversation again, right? And the next time it has to be a hard no. But you have to write things down. I am a big person telling people to journal. Journaling is big. Journaling will not, I mean, it helps you know 
what's good for you, what feels good. Um, on the on the Facebook page, I put a paper out, a sheet about feelings. And then another, um, I put another sheet out about um, journaling what's good for you, what makes your day great. It, because when you write it down, you're really looking at it. You're looking at how, this made me feel this way. When they said this, this is how I felt. You can say, I felt, you know, I felt anxious when they said this. I felt sad when they said this. You know, when they drink, I feel like this. And then when you write it down, that's when you know the conversations to have, right? Because mm-hmm. if you, most times, this is what I found. When you are having a conversation with a person that's an addiction, you forget everything that you're going to talk about. <laughs> everything I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to bring this up and I'm going to bring that up. And they're like, okay, let's talk about it. You're like, well, um, it's, and it's usually because you get pulled into the stress response, right? Right. You're you so stressed. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then you, you're, you're looking at their face to see that how they're going to react. Because another thing is when you allow someone to get away with something for so long, and then all of a sudden you want to put a hard stop to it. They don't deal with that very well. I had a situation recently where I communicated with this person to let them know this is what's going to happen on this date. You will no longer be able to do this, right? I could have stopped it at that moment, but I like to give people a little bit of a chance to know what's going to (laughs) happen, (laughs) right? (laughs) This is going to happen on this date. When that date came, they were, they act like they were absolutely oblivious. And I was like, well, I already told you, this is what you have to do. And, and they did not deal with it well, but I already knew that they were not going to. So I was prepared. I had my body all set for them not to feel good about it, to tell me that they didn't feel good about it. So I knew in advance that I was going to have to breathe through it and stand on my boundary. And it felt good. And when I stood on that boundary and even though they were upset and slammed the door behind them, I stood there and I was okay with it because I knew it was going to happen. And I also knew within a couple of days, that person would have time to think about it and say, you know, I understand that may not always happen, but when you're get, when you, when you're in there and you're setting those boundaries, that person will, they may take the time to think about you and not them. Right. That's what we hope for. <laughs> yeah, because it, it doesn't always happen. But, you know, when it does, it's like, oh, this thing works. This, this recovery thing works. This plan, it works. So boundaries. So what I'm hearing you say is this first step is to identify the boundaries. What's better, identify, you know, where it is that maybe we are falling into the patterns of codependency. Like, and then Mm. think about what is our best yet. I love your journal prompts. Like what's good for you? You know, what makes you feel good or, or what's not quite aligned and where Mm. are you feeling that in your body or where are people overstepping your boundaries or making you not feel good? I'm like, where are you saying yes, when you should be saying no? type things or where are your plans getting kiboshed and Mm -hmm. um and so and I love your permission it's okay to say no and I love this suggestion of stand on your boundaries yes um so great and it's all about putting yourself first Mm -hmm. so putting ourselves first (laughs) and and you know I have to always I try to always say in order to 
um, heal a thing, you have to talk about that thing. So if you don't know what you're healing, you can't really heal it. So in that journaling, in going to meetings, you know, that's another thing. You may go to a meeting. I, I am a firm believer of working your 12 steps. Codependency has, you know, we have 12 steps. We have 12 traditions and 12 prayers. So go to a meeting. They have them on, you know, on websites. They have them in person. They have telemeetings. They have some that are specifically for 12 steps because people sometimes may not know how to work the 12 steps. And if you're very lost in this, definitely get yourself a sponsor. You know, go on Facebook, you know, join Codependent Me. I say, but it's a lot. It's a lot out there. Also, it's a lot of others. You know, read your books. There's so many books about codependency. And I actually have a book about how I became codependent and how my mom's or my family's addiction led in led me to being codependent. The book is called Mom God Turned Mommy's Wine into Water because now she's in recovery. So it totally tells about my childhood and her childhood, how her childhood led her into her addiction and how my childhood being her child led me into being codependent. It is a beautiful song and dance that really allows you to learn oh, this is how codependency happens. Most times um, it starts in childhood where you are, I, I hate to use the word neglected, but it is neglect. You were neglected in being, um, like you've had to take over something that the adult should have been doing and you take that into your adulthood. So I'm a firm believer of being, making sure you go out there and get your resources so you can learn more about it. Because when you learn more about it, that's when you, you gain that strength. That's your exercising, right? Just like with muscles in the beginning, it doesn't feel good. It's kind of hard. Oh, I got to read. I got to do this. I got to do that. But you'll get used to it. Right. And when you see the other person's strength, that's when you gain that strength or gain that knowledge on how to do that walk. If somebody has already taken that journey, you, you don't have to, you don't have to start with a, a clean slate. It's already mapped out. Right. So definitely people can go out and get those resources and you'll find that tribe. And, you know, it's just like, Oh, I love these people. <laughs> Cause you speak the same language. Yeah. You know, you don't, everybody out there, they don't talk about boundaries. They don't talk about detachment. So you speak the same language and you have these similar situations. I mean, when we would hold meetings at the library, it was funny because it was like, everybody's going through the same thing this week, you know? So it's beautiful. And oh, you, you know, you find that beauty in the healing. Oh, it's so true. And I cannot agree with you more to find your tribe, your community. That's why I started the whole SYKM saving you is killing me community mm. because you, you can't do this alone. And it's a very isolating thing when you love someone with an addiction. So, and then we happen to find out all these new things that, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that like codependency right. is a thing and, and not to feel shame around it and just find, you know, we, it can, we can work through it. We can tweak it as you say, Tamala. Yes. And, um, and I love the way you put it too, is this idea of what, like, what are we healing? So when we are codependent, like, what is it that we're healing? Mm -hmm. And it can be, it can be something different all the time. Um, you know, sometimes I fall very short 
in loving me. Sometimes you have to start like, how, what is it that I need from me? What is it that I need to do uh, to heal the Tammy? Like right now, my name is Tamala, but when I was a child, they called me Tammy. So that was my nickname. When I was Tammy, there was a lot of things that Tammy went through that she swallowed. She was just like, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. You have to. So I always tell people I had to heal Tammy before I could become strong and be in Tamala. You know, so Tammy didn't feel pretty. Tammy, you know, when she was young, they talked about her, the, the shade of brown that I was. So I was very ashamed of that. So I had to go back and find, okay, this is what Tammy didn't enjoy. Let's, he, let's let Tammy know that she was beautiful. She's a beautiful little girl. She is, she is great in all her thickness because she, she had big thighs. You know, She was a chunky girl, but she was beautiful. So I wrote myself a letter to say, Tammy, you are beautiful just the way you are. You're going to be fine. You may not feel good today, but you're going to be fine. And I know you're going to be fine because I know who I am today. And I am you. So I had to heal that little girl. So in one of my classes, I gave paper to all of the, the people to say, write a letter to the younger you and let them know that they're going to make it. <sighs> When people started to write, you, you, become that, you become that child because you're going back in those memories. And when I looked across the room, I saw people weeping and I loved it. It was so healing. So sometimes you have to start with that baby you and heal that person to know I can be strong in who I am today because I healed that. I am, I'm okay with who I was back then. I'm okay with the bad decisions I made. I'm okay with the repercussions that came, you know, that came because of it. So you just have to, you have to look within yourself to say, where am I lacking that love for myself? What is it that I have to do to know that I am the bomb diggity? <laughs> right? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. This is so profound. Like it is literally like remothering yourself. It's like yes. going back. I love that suggestion mm, too. I've absolutely. done that before. Like the tears just rolled out and yes. talking to my little version of Andrea. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is that that is where there is hurt, right? And and this idea is to tap into part of healing is finding where we're falling short of loving ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, one of the, I, I created the new four C's of loving someone with an addiction, which are the SYCAM four C's. And one of them mm -hmm. is self-compassion, the compassion piece. Yes. And this is such a beautiful exercise of self-compassion and just like noticing where you're falling short of loving yourself. Yes. And that is such a wonderful strategy, writing yourself a letter and a letter to the younger version of yourself. And, you know, and it's so beautiful. And the other piece too, is that codependency can start too as an adult or later mm. in your life. So even yes. writing, you know, tapping into that. Where, that. Whatever age that is. Yes. Absolutely. You might just be writing a letter to the, the person that got married and lost themselves. I interviewed a woman once. She said, she said that when she was married, she didn't even have, she didn't know what her favorite color was. Mm. 
She didn't know what her favorite food was because it became all about what her husband's favorite color was, what her husband's favorite food was. So she had to go back to that young individual to say, where did I lose me? So let me find and pick myself up and love me. Oh, I love and know that. what my favorite color is and know what my favorite food is, right? I mean, one thing that I tell people all the time, the biggest thing in codependency, like a codependent relationship, and this is, I'm not saying everyone, I don't want everybody to say I'm thinking, cause I don't want people like, wait a minute, what about me? When people say, well, what do you want to eat today? I don't know. What do you want to eat today? Well, I don't know. What do you want to eat today? <laughs> Well, I don't know. What do you want to eat today? It's like oh nobody God. can make a decision. <laughs> well, what's that's so funny. It's like comical, but it's actually true. And and you bring up such a good point because I know what happened when I was in the muck of loving someone with an addiction is my, like it was all about his needs. Like I put yes. 100%, I was caring for him and actually I did have to have to write myself a letter like, cause I was being so hard on myself. I had to write myself a letter saying it makes sense that you're doing that because you're acting in any way that a caring, loving wife would right. act yes. with quote unquote, normal conditions. Like, you know, mm-hmm. through thick and thin, you know, till death do you part. Like, right. but then it's like with addiction it just goes out the window, mm-hmm. like, you know, abuse is abuse is abuse. So, right. So I, I love this piece of the puzzle is that is recognizing that you, we need to pick ourselves up and love Mm. ourselves more. And that is really what our message is today um, is that, you know, we had to find where we're falling short of loving ourselves. Don't necessarily get worried about the label of codependency, just kind of looking at, okay, yes, that's a tendency, but okay, let's tweak it a little. That's right. It's okay. Absolutely. I just, I hope that everyone understands that, you know, especially when it comes to, now I know we're talking about codependency, but Al-Anon was a wonderful meeting that I went to in order to learn um, (laughs) how to deal with uh, being the family member of an addicted person. And I loved, like one of, let me tell you a quick story, just in case anyone on here uh, has this happen. So my grandfather is, well, was an alcoholic as well. So my mom wanted to go to this meeting with me. But at the time, she was also a recovering alcoholic. So when you are a child of an addicted person and that addicted person or a recovering addicted person, when you walk into these meetings, you have to choose which hat you're wearing. Okay. So my mom, when she went in, she actually was wearing the I am addicted hat. So when everyone was talking about what the addict was, how the addict made them feel, what the addict was doing, all of a sudden I was sitting there and I'm going to show you, but I'm going to tell the audience, I saw my mom's arms fold (laughs) and you know, I'm a big body, body language person. So I'm sitting there and I'm confused. I'm like, Oh, why, why is she all of a sudden protecting herself? What's happening? (laughs) You know, so I'm trying to focus in the meeting, but I'm like, something's happening with my mom. Oh, you're caring so much for your mom. Again, that's that codependent, right? I'm not worrying about me. 
That not worrying is... about getting what I need. Like, oh what, what can I do? What can I fix? And I'm like, I'm, okay. I'm giving that okay. young version of you a huge hug right now. <laughs> Thank you. So I tell her, I go, let's go to di- let's go to lunch afterwards because I wanted to talk to her about it because that was her first Al-Anon meeting. And she goes, I felt like I was being attacked. And I said, oh, mom, you walked in with the wrong hat. She says, what? I said, you walked in as the recovering alcoholic. You should have walked in as the child of an alcoholic. So you should have been thinking about how you felt with your dad, with your uncles, with your sister. You shouldn't have been thinking about how you were making people feel. I said, I know it's hard to wear those multiple hats, but you have to be very cognizant of who you're walking in as, right? So for anyone listening, if you happen, because meetings are big and sometimes it'll be good to support or go with those that are addicted. So always make sure that they're walking in with the right hat. Oh my gosh, that's a beautiful story. Yay. Okay. So we're running out of time here and I could talk to you all day. Literally. You are so fun. You're a bundle of energy and you have the cutest t-shirt on as well. Thank you. (laughs) With your brand. Codependent me. Yes. Adorable. (laughs) Um, Okay. So if there was one last thing that you would love to share with a listener, what would it be? It would be to keep going. People understand that we all fall short at some point but understand that you are worth jumping back on, keeping yourself number one, loving yourself always, and knowing that, you know, if at some point you you have so much compassion that you let your boundaries fall, it's okay. Next time, just do better. So just understand that you are important. Tell your story. Be strong enough to tell your story when you're ready to the right people and always give back. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Tamala, for being on the show. That is such a Thank beautiful message. And me. of course, I will put all your show, their links in the show notes so everyone can get a hold of you. Yes. And um, we hope to do lots of fun things together in the future yes, as well. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. And I am so very grateful for your audience. I hope that um, if, you know, if they need anything, always reach out. It's no problem. Like you said, you'll put the information in the show notes. I am here for people. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs. Thank you.